The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the new breed tech platform used by 15,000 recruiters worldwide. Vincere is the secret weapon for progressive recruitment firms. It provides recruiters with everything they need to scale from CRM slash ATS through to online timesheets, websites and analytics. A true all-in-one growth platform built by recruiters for recruiters. Learn more about Vinny's story on my exclusive interview with their founder on episode 43 of this podcast. If you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to accelerate growth, visit vincere.io slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Welcome along to another episode of Talent Talk Asia podcast. My guest today is Matthew Ng, Head of Financial Services, covering technology and operations in Singapore at Charterhouse. Now, fun fact, Charterhouse are a Women in Recruitment Asia company member. Woohoo! And before we kick off, we want to really thank them for their support in the DNI space in Asia. Now, let's get back to the guest. I've met Matthew at Charterhouse a few times over the years. I've done some training. I popped in to record his peer, Patricia Tan, on this podcast. So when I saw a post on LinkedIn from his boss, Gary Lai, who, by the way, I used to work with at Rob Waters, celebrating him achieving 2021's Charterhouse Top Biller Award oh, for hitting a record 1.6 million in revenues, um, I knew I had to have him on the show. This is probably one of my favourite pods to date. I wasn't quite sure what to expect um, and it was just really refreshing. Matt comes across as really genuine. There's kind of a no nonsense about him. He's big on relationship building, um, but also comes with this winning mindset with huge amounts of self-assurance and positivity. And so I really want you to take the time, whether you're going out for a run or you're doing your CrossFit or you're on a train, or hey, you might be on an aeroplane now, traveling somewhere exotic, take the time to listen to this podcast. It's going to definitely impact your life if you're in the recruitment industry. And it's got some really good key takeaways to really um, give you huge amounts of motivation. So this is what to expect from the show. I'm a, I have a crazy winning mindset. But whenever I get a role from a client, it doesn't matter whether the is open for six months, nine months, or fresh. I believe I'm going to close it. That's the mindset I have. And sometimes I go with my consultant, I consultant leave the meeting, I say, oh man, it's impossible to close this. I say, why? I think I'm going to close it. I think we're going to close it. But obviously I don't close all the rules. But I think that mindset, that winning mindset will change, will affect your approach when you work on the road. Because a lot of time you hear people saying, this job is horrible. This client is horrible. The budget is too low. You know, everybody is non-local. It's always the same problem. You know, no point talking about the problem because you can't change the problem. How are you going to handle that, right? Enjoy the show. Happy Thursday, Matt. How are you? Good, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Have you been like up for a few hours already or have you just started for the I day? I do actually. So I, I go to the gym every morning at 6.30 a.m. So oh, are you serious? 6.30? Yeah, yeah. So I mean weekday. So that's how I get my day started. I can't, I can't start the day without my CrossFit wow. in the morning. Yeah. Do you actually sort of go to a class? or Yes, do you... I do. Yeah. I go to a class. So it's easier. You just follow what you're supposed to do rather than to plan your own workout. And it's just not that motivating. Like spin class or uh, what CrossFit. 
CrossFit. Okay. Yeah. So it's the same. Okay. You know, it's interesting because every morning at 6.30, you see about the same group of people. So it's like going to work. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, obviously, what but does that's it do more for fun you? than working. Yeah. What does it do for you? What is the reason why you consistently do that? I think it's... So obviously, I think it's important to exercise regularly. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not disciplined enough to go to a gym to plan my own workout. So I... CrossFit is like a class where, you know, there's a certain workout of the day that they plan. You go in, there's an instructor, there's a group of people who does the same thing with you. Uh, yeah, and it, it makes, I mean, going there, it's not about like getting super fit or anything, but, you know, you sweat, you know, you get your machine going and then you feel, yeah. I feel happier on days that I do my CrossFit. That is yeah. really interesting. I think there's a lot yeah. to be said on that. I see. I I was having a recent conversation with someone on the same thing in terms of kind of what is it about high performers, and one of those is it always seems to be a a um, kind of thread coming through, which is always exercise. There's always oh, an really? exercise element, whether it's going to the gym or for a walk or just you learning something new, just to get that kind of endorphins going, that positivity yeah. and kind of pump for the yeah, day. It really, so that's really, it really does help. Some in in a very unexplainable way. You just feel much better if you just you know obviously waking up is, is horrible like waking up at yeah. five plus is is horrible you get that is so, horrible it's do you have horrible, to go to bed really yeah. early do you have to go to bed like I, dead I, early I then? actually sleep very early I think I sleep at around ten thirty to eleven p.m. See, I love that in Singapore, you think 10.30 is early. Like 10.30 to me, that's when I go to bed and I'm like 47 years old. So um, that's really, that seems to me really late where you is like, that's early. Oh, really? Yeah, because, to... because a lot of my friends, they go to bed at like 12 a.m., 1 a.m. I know. I it's like, a big I, Singapore I, I thing. It's an Asian oh, thing. A lot of people okay. do is go it... to bed quite late. Yeah, they do. Compared yeah. to kind of sometimes sort of Westerners, it's a different sleep pattern. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling pumped for today. I did a yoga session this morning, so I'm not necessarily as probably as 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 wide awake as you might have been with CrossFit. But let's let's kick off. Sure. Um, I know we've always seen each other sometimes. At, you know, when you're doing a work event with Gary and Charterhouse at like the Fullerton, you're having like a team lunch, and I always kind of see you and say hi. But we've never really kind of had an opportunity to really talk. So yeah. I'm actually excited to kind of get to know you a little bit more. So this is going to be a a I suppose a unique and original podcast in that it's not someone I know, and so. Um, it really gives the listeners a chance and me to really get to know you. Um, can you share with the listeners um, the area that you specialize within Charterhouse? Sure. So, so hi, everybody. I'm Matthew and I've been with Charterhouse for the last six over years. So I manage the financial services, technology and operations team. So basically what we specialize in are broken down into a few areas. So we work on development and engineering roles, uh, infrastructure and cloud uh, data. Uh, cyber security and technology risk. We also have a team who does change and transformation, um, strategy and in-house consulting. And last but not least, uh, middle office and operations. God, that is big team. That's it, a lot of departments, it's, it's isn't quite, it? It's, it's a little bit crazy, yes. <laughs> yeah, and that's all permanent recruitment? Uh, I would say 80 to 90% of our roles will be permanent. Uh, we, right. we obviously would be interested to potentially have a specialized contracting desk, but at this point, it's, it's a little bit too busy for us to, to dabble in that because you need someone who really focus. Yeah, is, is willing yeah. to build it up and not exactly. necessarily time, get the right? dollars early on, right? Yeah. yeah. And within those departments, like how many sort of people are you overseeing in terms of headcount then? So right now, I have a team of nine. 
recruiters. Time of nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and how have you sort of gone about trying to get people on board? Do they tend to be for, like recruiters or are you training them from scratch or yeah. how have you sort of been able to, to you know, get the, get the nine people? I know it's yeah. a real challenge right now for recruiters. I, I think, I think, I've, I think that's a challenge for, I believe, I would hope that it's a challenge for most of the players that we are Absolutely. in this industry. In the ideal world, we want everybody to be experienced recruiters because obviously plug and play, you know, they, they know yeah. what to do. Uh, so my team is made up of uh, 50% experienced recruiters who come from other competitor firms. The other half would come with uh, little or no recruitment experience. So obviously that, that affects the way you train and manage the team. Yeah. Yeah. Has it worked out in terms of taking people with mixed backgrounds? Have you found one's been better than the other just in terms of retention? Yeah. No, I think I think it's a very interesting topic that I have been figuring out over the last many, many years because yeah. recruitment is sales. It's, it's dealing with human beings on the both sides of the equation. Yeah. Some people, you realize that they, they can't do it. Uh, I recently about in the last one year or so had a situation with someone who I brought in who, who, who was in a sales job before and came on board to talk to think that you know he, he wanted to learn something that's dealing with human beings but you know there's a lot more than just selling a product in our job you know your candidates and clients can change their mind on a regular basis or daily basis right some people cannot adapt to that kind of a change on a constant basis so I would say it doesn't work out for everyone who may not have done it before, which is why during the interview process, uh, I want to be very transparent with these people. Like, you know, I will ask them, what do you think we do on a daily basis? And sometimes you be, it's very interesting to hear what they think we do. Uh, yeah, it can be quite idealistic will, sometimes, yeah, can't it? Very, you know, yeah, oh, exactly, it's so very, amazing that you get people jobs, but yeah. Yeah. So, yes, we do. But. So, so sometimes, of course, I don't think it's a perfect solution. We, we, we try to give as much information as possible. I mean, the last thing I want is to have someone to go through the process with someone, they join and then they leave within the next two to three months. It's a waste of their time affecting their career and also wasting my time. And yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just not, yeah. But it's, it's hard. I, I will, I'll be keen to hear from anyone who is very confident in their hiring process. I will, I will, I will learn. I will pay to <laughs> Good learn. Good luck basically. with that. Yeah. Oh, I think it's hard. I think, I think, I think there's some some leaders that can be better than others, just in regards to maybe they found a sort of a certain recipe. But I think they're still going to hire the odd person that it still doesn't go right. I think it all comes down to the interviewing, doesn't it? Like just how you go about kind of testing for that resilience, that change, that adaptability, but yeah. also just being a conversationalist. Yeah. I think one thing that we always kind of, you know, we've got to be careful. We don't bring bias into it that you're not kind of if someone is as conversationless as we are great they must be a great hire but you're right the way the market is now and we go on to that we go on to that today is that it does need someone that is able to dig deep right is able to think of different alternative approaches whether it's in the cold call or with the um candidates managing multiple offers they've got to be adaptable right in terms of how they influence just yeah a lot of skills involved in what it needs yeah, it's not. It's definitely a challenge. I I, I hear you. Are yeah. you? So you're managing. You're managing, as you said, nine people. I'd really. I'm really keen to kind of get under the under the bonnet or get under the skin of you in terms of you winning the top biller award at Charterhouse. Like, what's the criteria <laughs> for that? Was it was it also to do with leadership or was it just purely billing? Like, tell 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 me more about that. Okay, so I think the okay the top biller award in Charterhouse is basically given to the consultant who generates the highest revenue 
for the year, uh, the financial year, which runs from January to December yearly. Uh, right. It's given, it, it, anyone can qualify for that. It, you don't have to be a manager. You know, we, we encourage our consultants to aim for that, obviously, you know. So that, that's the award that we give out yearly. Wow, that's amazing. And is that one, is the first time that you've, you've achieved that? No, I think it's the third time. Third it's time. the yeah. third time. So quite, wow. quite lucky. Quite lucky. <laughs> was, there a, was there a big gap or a little gap between you and someone else in the office? Or I Okay, so I'm a very trans. Uh, so last year was quite an amazing year. I mean, just to be upfront, I don't Please, build 1.6. We, we want the juice, Matt. We want the yeah. juice. Like, come on. What did, so, you, what did you make? So what was the I don't build 1.6 million on a yearly basis. If I can do that, I'll be very, very happy. I probably can retire soon. Uh, so... I got quite lucky last year. Not on Singapore year. prices yeah. going yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah maybe, probably not. But, uh, <laughs> not so, right now. <laughs> honestly, I think Charterhouse has quite a lot of talented recruiters. I think sometimes yeah. the, the, the difference is not huge sometimes. So, you know, and it's great, right? Because if it's too huge a difference, people will not be as motivated because you, you have the same few people who win on, mm. on a yearly basis. So I think we have an environment where we have a healthy competition where everyone has a chance. But obviously yeah. the hard work is non-negotiable right so that's that's how it is well it's interesting right because obviously um for those listeners out there we had patricia tan your colleague on here on the sales and marketing side and she's also i know my time with her robert walter she was also high performer so it does seem to sort of breed high performing in terms of um the talent within there so you know what how did it um what did it take for you to achieve those numbers can you break it down for me (laughs) break it down (laughs) if you have time I would say the number one thing which I believe uh, ever since I entered this industry 12 years ago is uh, consistent hard work. I think that is something that I truly believe in for myself. And what does that mean to So you? to me, hard work daily is really being very consistent in doing the basics. You know, at the end of the day, recruitment is not so much about how many calls you make. You know, it's not about how many CVs you send. There's also the quality of it. And really doing what is necessary. I have to say that I've met a lot of recruiters before and those people who are good or successful, I realize there's a common trait that they always put in the effort to engage with their clients and candidates. And when I say engage, it's not just sending an email. And you know, people like to hide behind the screen. People like to send emails, send emails, send emails. But <laughs> how are you going to build? A, I'm sure you got your boyfriend or husband's not true emails you know you meet you go for movie dates you go for dinner dates obviously we don't do that with clients but i think the face-to-face engagement is very important obviously now there's a lot more digital online video conferencing yeah, how but, was that for you then because that was interesting oh, that you've mentioned that as it's, being it's horrible a, for me i yeah I, okay. I think i'm i think i'm a very old school person i'm so lost during like circuit breaker and like all this work from home because i like the physical Meeting. Yeah. I like but you made those numbers during COVID <laughs> or, or just after. Last, so that's after COVID. I think 2020, honestly, 2020 was, was hard. I think 2020, April was when that first circuit breaker yeah. happened. Yeah. Honestly, obviously, you have to thank the market, right? Uh, 2020 was horrible for a lot of clients who were yeah. afraid, right? 2021 yeah. almost felt like, you know, revenge hiring for a lot of the clients. So, so I personally really like the engagement. And I think that's something I do day in, day out. Uh, and honestly, we are dealing with human beings. You know, your candidates and clients appreciate the effort that you've taken out of your calendar to travel down to meet them. So that to me is a number one thing that I have done it consistently over the years. And can I ask you, when you're saying um, that you're meeting them for like coffees and lunches, is, is this, you know, 
I assume that this is for existing clients and candidates, but what about the new ones? Like if you've got like a new recruiter coming into the market and they're trying to kind of, you know, be successful and build up that kind yeah. of reputation, yeah. Yeah. what advice would you give to those ones trying to sort of get on, you know, tag on to what you just said about these relationships? How can they yeah. do that when a lot of hiring managers don't want to meet them because they're new? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point. I just had a team meeting yesterday and I said the same thing to my team that a lot of younger recruiters in my team or generally say that, oh, Matt, you, you, you have been in the market for 12 years. You know, your clients know you, they will meet you. But you know what? I, I start from scratch as well. And there are still clients that are new to me that I'm also putting in an effort. And I think that one thing that everybody needs to know is the client is just like you and I. We're all just normal human beings doing a job. Obviously, the client gets a lot of approach from many, many recruiters on a daily basis. How is it that you're going to encourage them to want to see you? You know, if you if your intention is purely like, oh, I want to meet you because I want to get a job from you, I want to get yeah. a job brief, they can tell, you know. So I am I am genuinely a very nosy person. I like to get to know people. So <laughs> a lot of my clients, I know what's going on in their life, whether they're going on holiday and things like that. You know, interestingly, one of the consultants I managed many years back, we went on a client meeting. After the meeting, she asked me, why do you ask that client? How was the holiday to Tokyo? Does it matter to you? I said, honestly, that's a very good question. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. But you know, one thing about him is everybody likes to talk about themselves. I mean, I also like traveling. So there's always a common ground you can find. If your common ground, common ground is purely business, it's very boring, right? Absolutely. I think that's something yeah. that I, I teach the younger recruiters like, you must know what you bring to the table. You're not just a junior recruiter. You're a human being with different types of experiences, whether in terms of the food that you eat, you are very good, the kind of shows that you watch, the kind of hobbies that you have. Yeah. Find a common ground. There's always things to find a common ground. It can be yeah. something very simple, like, I don't know, like maybe you, you like to eat Korean food. Then you can talk about yeah. where and the And you've nice got a Korean client food. that's also yeah. into that. Yeah. But I also I, think, look, for hiring managers and particularly HR, when they have a meeting, sometimes they don't want to talk about just work. Exactly, they might have right? an hour of having a coffee with you. And so to have an hour of the coffee, they also just want to kind of have a little bit of release and, you know, maybe a giggle. And, you know, as long as you can still maintain that credibility, it goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah. Just to connect. So, so last week I had, a, I had a VC with a very senior client in Hong Kong. She only had, her secretary told me she only had 15 minutes. For 10 minutes of the conversation, she was telling me how tired she felt because last night she spent four hours watching a Korean drama. <laughs> we only had five minutes later on to talk about work and she was like Matt you know what let's get you another time because I wasted the time today but you know what it, it, you can't tell her it's you build relationship don't tell yeah. me about no, your you career show, I'm not but you know that's, that's, that's friendship but that's, in, right? that's interesting that you mentioned that as an example. And I think that's a great example for people new into recruitment is that sometimes when you're new, you think that you have to, for your boss, have come out of that meeting and have achieved something. You've picked up a job, you've done that. But actually having that patience to go, no, they weren't ready for that. Me trying to, me trying to chase a job right now. You know, I, di I did a training session yesterday and it was sort of new junior recruiters, associate consultants. And, you know, I probably shouldn't have said this, but I said, look, you've, you've got to have a little bit of foreplay. Like you don't just go on a date, right? And just start thinking you're going to get a kiss at the end of the night. Like there's a little bit of foreplay there. Oh my like, God, warm so them, warm yeah. your clients up a little bit. I think they got it. <laughs> but it's just that kind of thing, right? Is not trying to jump in and, oh, oh, I'm ringing to chase a job. Well, wait a second, they don't know you. Why are they going to give you something? Just first of all, try and build a relationship. If you can try and get that or at least a meeting, 
winner, right? Yeah. Just a winning sort of solution. Yeah, but okay, just, you... sorry, one point on that, I, I thought it's, I felt it was quite weird was that I have interviewed quite a lot of recruiters. There were some recruiters from certain firms who they told me that they don't get to meet their clients because their management said that if this client doesn't have a job for you, that like if you're not meeting them to talk about a job, you can't meet them. I was like, huh? Oh, that makes me feel sick. I was that actually like, makes me feel sick to hear that because yeah, but, that yeah, goes you know, against everything, you're not, doesn't You're it? not training people the right way. Then it becomes just True. transactional, right? And why Agreed. would a client meet you? Everybody... Anyone can do your job. Why, what's so special about this recruiter anyway? So I think the longevity of that consultant as well is not going to be that long because I think people do like the connection. You generally go into recruitment because you like dealing with people. You don't have to be an extrovert, but you actually like the, exactly. you know, putting the puzzle yeah. together, all those kind of things. So yeah. you mentioned uh, when I asked you to break it down, you give me consistent hard work, yeah. you know, doing the basics. Um, when you're saying doing the basics, what does that kind of week look like when we're saying basics? Like what is it the kind of non-negotiables for you that has to get achieved for yourself okay. in that week? So I came from uh, my first six years was with another recruitment firm, uh, Ambition, which I felt that's where I got my training we get weekly reports on the kind of stats that we put in. And you know, back then, I felt that it was horrible to keep looking at numbers of calls, numbers yeah. of CVs, number of client meetings, yeah. number See, of I interviews. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? Actually, I'm very thankful to you know, Ambition for the, the, the training that I had for six years where at the end of the day, recruitment is a sales job. You know? And there are certain facts about recruitment that you cannot run away from. And I always tell my consultant, if you can find a recruiter who can make a placement without sending CVs, without arranging first interviews, please introduce to me because I would love to learn from that person. <laughs> right? So, yeah. so when you look at this flow, you know, I always, tell my, I always draw the same flow for my team. In, in fact, I have an Excel spreadsheet that I do my team meetings. They have to update that on a every week basis. And you, you know, when you look at this, this Excel table, if everything you have is on new jobs with no CV send, no first interview, you will not make placements. That is, I don't think it takes an expert to say this. So exactly. to me, that's the basic of recruitment. Because if you cannot master the basics of recruitment, like understanding what your client wants, headhunting the right candidates, bringing the right candidate to the table, don't think about making money because you cannot even cover your cost. So that's the basics. Yeah. I love I love that, and I think it, yeah. When you what what advice would you give to a younger recruiter though, that might feel pressured that there's a certain amount of numbers that they need to do? Like, how do they maintain that quality and not sort of jeopardize their integrity as a recruiter in the early days when you've got pressures from above to kind of hit those numbers? Hey, listeners, time for you to grab a cuppa or maybe a chance to catch your breath on your morning run. Now, whilst you're doing that, I want to share with you one of our new training programs for 2022. So if you're a recruitment firm and you have some new starters joining and you're really struggling to put time aside to get them up and running, then our two-week bite-sized e strengths onboarding program may be just what you're looking for. We will get your new starters become really familiar with your values, your mission, your purpose, your structure, what your commissions look like, your rituals, and so that we will get them up and running and productive as quickly as possible. So if you're interested to hear more about that, reach out for a discussion. 
The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the new breed tech platform used by 15,000 recruiters worldwide. Vincere is the secret weapon for progressive recruitment firms. It provides recruiters with everything they need to scale from CRM slash ATS through to online timesheets, websites and analytics. A true all-in-one growth platform built by recruiters for recruiters. Learn more about Vinny's story on my exclusive interview with their founder on episode 43 of this podcast. If you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to accelerate growth, visit vincere.io slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Yeah, so I, I think there's something that, I mean, we're all adults. So when, when we speak to the team or when I speak to my team, it's, it's very clear. You know you're here to, to be a recruiter. And as a recruiter, our main goal is to, you know, close jobs or hire candidates for our or hire candidates for our clients. I don't think it's about integrity or like pressure on just the number itself. And that's why, so the beauty about joining Charterhouse is that Gary, our MD, doesn't look at numbers. He doesn't look at KPI. I was shocked when I first joined, like there was no, it was a very weird, like for the first few months, I was like, hey, where are the numbers that I should be seeing about what I've done or what my team has done? So, but with that said, everyone is like a mini boss running your own business. You know, you have jobs that you have, you are helping your client. If you, because I don't believe in like just telling him, you have to send 20 CVs, 30 CVs on. It, it's not about the number. It's about the quality. Like yesterday, I was just telling my team, if you have a job and you can just send two CVs and make a placement, I will be super impressed. I think that's, that's something I would love to achieve because yeah. I don't have very high conversion rate. Sometimes I would maybe have to send three to five CVs. Uh, there are very, very few placements in my career that I only send one CV and I get a placement. If I can right. do that all the that's, time, that's can, really you imagine, to, yeah. can you imagine how much time I can save, right? You don't need interviews. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's why people need to remember that these are not KPIs for the sake of numbers because yeah. if you only care about the numbers, then it's definitely not the right job for you because you're doing it for the sake of getting the numbers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's really good. I think that's really good advice for people. When you mentioned the second one, which was effort to engage with clients and candidates, what are you sort of saying to yourself then when it comes to when you're building relationships? Do you sort of put yourself like a cool cycle on them? Do you make sure that you've taken them for dinner? You know, is there a kind of like a bit of a, I don't know, a checklist in your mind when you're trying to build uh, these relationships? This is a very, needs? very big topic to me uh, because I feel that, I think generally people are afraid of approaching new clients or new people. They are afraid of being turned down. And my... I. I don't really have a steps, like step-by-step approach, but I will always share with them how I've done it with every single client. And I say to them that I have a lot of clients who always come back to me. And I also have to tell you, those clients, I've never closed a job with them before. Interesting. Yeah. So, and then I always ask my consultants, they give me the job, not because I'm the best recruiter. I'm not the best recruiter. You know, I... I'm definitely not the strongest. Well, you must be doing pretty good if you made 1.6 last year, mate. No, no, sorry. Obviously, (laughs) I'm just saying that it's very important to, people like to go to people who they like, right? You always always want to deal with people who you can trust and people who you know have your back. Absolutely. And I believe in the very important agenda of you need to have a genuine interest in the people that you're engaging or reaching out to. Because sometimes people do things for the sake of doing. Like for example, 
if I pass on the client to my consultant or to anyone, I'll say, okay, I'm going to let you handle this role, engage with the HR, engage with the hiring manager. A lot of times they will email, maybe call one time and they say the client never pick up and then that's it. And I was like, you know, I call my clients. If I need to talk to my client, I call them in the morning, I call them in the afternoon, I call them at night, I WhatsApp You're a stalker. them, I email yeah. them, I, I, I stalk them basically. A but polite obviously, stalker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is so, such one. Sometimes people, people think that um, I've done it. You know, it goes back to the fact of I have done it. Like they, they, they think that I have attempted it and that's yeah. fine. So you don't have the right mindset to be the good recruiter. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I tell them if this is how you, you think, it's either you need to adapt to a new way of working yeah. or you can be a glorified researcher because you has, can't engage. Has that mindset people. for you when you say about kind of that, I can hear from you sort of perseverance, adaptability, relationship builders, has that always been with you since a kid or is that something you've developed oh, over time? Wow, this is a, it's a deep, deep one, right? Deep, deep one, yeah. So <laughs> Get I'm, settled in. Yeah, so... <laughs> I mean, I'm a very transparent person. So I, I grew up in a family as the eldest kid and my parents uh, used to work sort of overseas. So I've always been tasked to take care of the younger brothers. So I've since young, I've been like the, the mother slash father slash nanny slash everything else. Right. So it, it made me who I am right now because I'm a very naggy person. So I tell my team that, you know, I, I've, it makes you become this kind of a, like a, person where you always want to make sure that the people are doing what they do. You right. always want a to sense of responsibility yeah, sense kind of, of thing. Sense of, mm. I, think, I, I think I can go either ways, right? I, I could become this hooligan who, because there's no one to manage me at home, or thankfully, I, I turn out to be all right. Uh, so from young, so I have this, I'm, I'm just a very responsible person. And I think being responsible is one of the traits that you need to have because you, when you promise your client something, if you're responsible, you will make it happen and you will deliver. Yeah. And, and I think that is something that from young, I think I've been in the environment where I cannot, I mean, my stakeholders back then when I was young were my two brothers. I cannot avoid, I cannot leave them alone, right? You know, so, so that kind of a yeah. stakeholder engagement started yeah. since young. It sounds, it sounds to me as though when, you're, when you think about the competencies you look for in a new hire, it's actually responsibility for you, right? Yeah. So, it, you know, we're thinking about all the other things that we look for in a recruiter. Well, actually, one of those for you then, it sounds as though it is that sense of responsibility, taking ownership over your own destiny. It's not any, you know, it's not about exactly. KPIs, it's about your own kind of goals and what you want to achieve, right? Yeah. What other ways, um, what else did it take for you to get to 1.6 million? You mentioned consistency, consistent hard work. You mentioned this effort to engage with clients and candidates. What yeah. else got you to hit those numbers? I think I'm very grateful to have a very strong network of clients and candidates who consistently uh, come back to me with their hiring or job search, you know, uh, requests. And so to, if any of my clients and candidates listen, thank you so much. Uh, so I think <laughs> with that, it, it really helps you to achieve results because let's be honest, you know, sometimes when a client needs to hire a, for a role, they may blast out to three to four agencies or more agencies and it becomes a very, very, very competitive game where, you know, the fastest fingers first. Obviously, I still have rules that are in those kind of category, but thankfully, I do have a lot of cases where I work on those rules that are exclusive. My clients trust me, they gave it to me first. Obviously, if I don't deliver within the first one, two weeks, then they will open up to other people, which obviously is fair. 
I also have a lot of senior clients who trust me with confidential mandates. Uh, confidential mandates is normally a very good thing for me because it means that nobody in your team or in your HR division can actually engage with a candidate. You, you depend on me 100%. Um, so that helps. The other thing for me is, uh, I don't have the exact number, but probably I would say 30 to 40% of my placements are actually true referral candidates. Wow. Sometimes, okay. sometimes I don't actually have to do a search. You know, I get referred. Wow. Like I reach out to people that I know like, hey, I'm looking for this, this, this. Do you know anyone? Oh yeah. You know, and passive yeah. candidates are always the best, right? You know, they are not the ones who are applying to every single market in the world. Uh, yeah. And they, they, they are passively, they are good, highly softer. Uh, and, it takes a friend to introduce them to me. Yeah. You know, that, that helps. And they'll sit in that, other agencies' databases or, or going out to interviews. But it sounds uh, like that t- your number three ties in with your number two, right? The, 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 yeah. How important your number two is about effort. Like that word yeah. effort. What yeah. is effort to you? What is eff- what, describe effort for me, to me. Eff- effort. Wow. I think for me, effort is, okay, so I, I can think, think of two points. I don't know how relevant is that. I have a, I'm a, I have a crazy winning mindset. But whenever I get a role from a client, it doesn't matter whether the role is open for six months, nine months, or fresh. I believe I'm going to close it. That's the mindset I have. And sometimes I go with my consultant, my consultant leave the meeting, I say, oh man, it's impossible to close this role. I say, why? I think I'm going to close it. I think we're going to close it. But obviously, I don't close all the rules. But I think that mindset, that winning mindset mm. will change, will affect your approach when you work on the road. Because a lot of time you hear people say, this job is horrible. This client is horrible. The budget is too low. You know, everybody is non-local. It's always the same problem. You know, no point talking about the problem because you can't change the problem. Yeah. How are you going to handle that? Right. And the number two thing for me is that I really, I really never give up. I only give up when it's over. If my client tells me that, oh, Max, uh, your candidates are a KIV case, we got this other candidate from another agency or referral or internal that we are, we are considering, I will not say, most people say, oh, okay, sure. I was like, oh, tell me more about this person. <laughs> Why? What do you like about this person? <laughs> if like you really have to, like, what, what? And I have a few cases where I managed to win that, that person who they favor because I know who I'm challenging or rather, I know what my candidates are fighting against. So I think, I think that's, that's the, that's the, I'm not a very creative person in my personal life. I'm so boring, but I think at work, maybe that's why I, I put all my creative juices at work. I hear uh, so many, I'll sit here, I hear so many talents coming out when you just describe winning mindset and never give up. Like you hear that curiosity, right? Where this yeah. curiosity of digging a bit deeper with the client to kind of, you know, find out more that you can influence, but that yeah. competitive nature, there's a lot of self-assurance in there, right? I'm going to do it. It's, I'm, I'm going to do it. That responsibility pops up again though, right? That kind of um, never give up. Um, Whatever happens, I'm going to do it. But also I think one thing that's probably the most, for me, a a really big takeaway, especially for a lot of junior recruiters that are kind of, you know, finding their way right now in recruitment is positivity. Like to me, I hear this really big stream of, well, we can do it. Yeah, I know it's going to be difficult. Yeah, it's hard to find candidates, but hey, we're going to do it. So it's self-assurance, but also a positive kind of outlook on it that, that kind of weaves into that never give up, which I find really interesting. So thank you for describing that because I think people that listen out there, that if they have those kind of traits or they want to be able to be successful in recruitment, it's about kind of, you know, I'm not saying that you can 
all of a sudden make yourself be that person, but at least try and lean into some of those talents that they might be able to, you know, start focusing on winning mindset and never give up. Um, what else? What other things do you see? As you, you've mentioned three things to, that ha- that got you to those numbers. Is there anything else that got you to achieve those numbers? I, I definitely have to say that the market, right? Obviously, you know, the market was great. Everyone was hiring. That, that definitely is a market. I think in 2020 to 2021 was a big transition for a lot of us in terms of how people held back during 2020 because COVID was new. People was hoping that it would go away. But obviously, it didn't go away. So, you know, they, they, they have to hire. Uh, I, I can't think of... Honestly, people sometimes ask me, I, I really don't know. Sometimes, and sometimes, like, even when I have conversation with my boss, like, what's going to happen next quarter? You feel like, oh, this is, this is like, amazing. And maybe next quarter, I, I won't do it. And then it, it just kept putting it. And just that's happens. why I believe yeah. consistency. If yeah. you keep putting in the effort and the hard work, yeah, something will come. I've never, I've only met one recruiter, one person in my team before who was the most unfortunate case that happened to him. He had 11 offers in a month. He only closed one because yes. 10 cases all had some shit on one way. I brought him out for drinks that day because I told him, I don't know how your heart is going to take it because, you know, shit happens, but yours was like incredible amount of shit that happened to you. Yeah, I mean, really he's, he's, he's moved in-house now. He's my client, but you know, I always believe that, you know, if you put in a lot of hard work, and one more thing I like to tell my team, uh, which I shared with the company during our cruise is, I don't know, some people laugh and I think it's, <laughs> maybe it's not that professional a thing to say, uh, but not as exciting as your foreplay topic. Uh, I always believe that you need to have a lot of eggs in the basket, yeah. right? That's my way of working every day. I don't want to just pray for that one offer to come. I yeah. want to make sure that I have easily four to five on a monthly basis. So spreading basis. the risk, diversifying. Yeah. Is that Diversi- also just not from just a candidate perspective? Is, also, is that also diversifying in terms of your clients so you're not just yes. being reliant yeah. on one I cash cannot, cow? I mean, all clients want you to work with them exclusively. Yeah. But I'm very candid with the client. Will you be able to feed me and my team? Right? <laughs> yeah, that's, if, that's such if, a great question. Such a because, good response. Yeah. Because you, are, you want... I mean, as a client, you want a recruiter to only work for you, only send candidates to you. I mean, that's fair, but yeah. you also need to understand that I work for an organization who I need to deliver revenue yeah. to. Yeah, and it's if, expensive if, in Singapore. You need a certain amount to live here. Like, come yes, on. <laughs> exactly, right? So, and when I say that, honestly, the client laugh and then they be like, okay, that's fair, right? Because you want to give me everything exclusive? Sure, yeah. I will. we will sign that. So, for me, it's having that diversification and when, when you are not that lucky, you are still profitable. When yeah. you are lucky, you get a lot of revenue. And that's how, maybe I was very, very lucky last year. Everything, I didn't have that much of a rejection. Uh, this year, I already had, just not this year, just this quarter, I, I already had like three to four within the last few days. It's, you know, shit happens, right? Well, sometimes, I'm interested that you said that because I, I, you know, sometimes you have that impression that do you feel to be that successful? You're not kind of having that. So I know in the market, from everyone I'm, I'm listening to, that everyone's juggling candidates with multiple offers, that it's just crazy. What's, what's kind of your strategy? What's your approach to kind of managing it? I know it's a big half there, like a million dollar question. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, I have heard a lot of stories and until today, I feel that it's a, it's a very, very uh, difficult topic. And I think that's a topic that maybe the beauty of it is that we are dealing with human beings, but also the downside is you're because you're dealing with human beings, they change their mind. So for me, I always, again, go back to the basics. 
I know of a lot of recruiters when they engage with candidates, they are doing a transactional conversation. Oh, tell me what you do in this role. Oh, what is your salary? Oh, what is your notice period? Oh, what is your bonus? What are you looking for? Okay, I'll send you to the client. And I was like, <laughs> so... Tick box exercise. Tick, yeah, exactly. Tick, tick. And, and even the KYC process has changed. It's no longer ticking boxes. So I asked my consultant, why do you think this candidate is open to exploring? Right? What's the reason? Is it... I'll say, oh, better opportunities. And I'm like, I'm always very pissed off when someone tells me that. What is better opportunities? What, what does it mean? Oh, yeah. Right? I want a it's, new challenge. That exactly. That's, that's so horrible, right? So I think for me, when I work with candidates, I really want to know what are they thinking about, right? Obviously, I can't do that with every single candidate at the first beginning engagement stage. But as, as the interview pro- progresses, I am very good with my candidates and I, I give him the time to really understand. And I'm very transparent with them. I tell them, actually, if you are not that keen on the role, let's just cancel the next final round interview because you waste your time. I waste my time. The client wastes their time. And you know what? Having difficult conversations like that with your candidates make them appreciate you more because, come on, at the end of the day, every candidate knows that you want to close the deal, right? Sometimes a lot of consultants let themselves believe that the co- consultant is their colleague. And I was like, oh, why do you think your candidate is going to take offer? Yeah, the candidate told me that he wants to join you, my com- client over the other client. I said, he said that because you're representing A. If you're representing B, he will probably tell you B. I said, oh, you know, so when you have that kind of a relationship and conversation with candidates and being daring to tell them what it is, yeah. they will tell you, actually, Matt, you know, I will only join their client if they give me like 30%, 40% whatever. And you know at that point that they are not actually that keen. And that allows me to do a bit of a backpedaling to plan backup plans. And then when you take this kind of a conversation to your clients, they will appreciate you a lot because you are telling them, don't expect it to be closed so easily. Yeah, they've got to work for it, right? Clients have got to work for it a little bit more now, right? And I have a lot of HR clients who tell me they they really hate it when consultants don't tell them because we all know when the HR gives you an offer for a candidate, they go through different levels of approval. So they do put so much steps and then if they go through so much steps and you tell them, oh, sorry, client, my candidate say no. I said, yeah. do you see that coming? If you knew that was possible, you should tell me. Then we don't yeah. need to waste our yeah. time. You ruin, so, you ruin your credibility you ruin, you pretty and quickly. And that makes your client not want to work with you. So, so that, is, that is one thing I try to do on a... I try to do, but obviously I still feel sometimes, right? And, and sometimes candidates, and sometimes candidates are out to bullshit you. If I, and I tell my candidates sometimes, I mean, I've been in this industry long, I've dealt with so many candidates. If you want to, yeah. you, if you want an offer just to go and fish for a counter offer, just be honest with me, right? And obviously you would want me not to tell my client. Then I will tell them, if now today you are the hiring manager, you will not want me to tell you that your candidate is doing that. I think it's a very complex, it's a very transparent world right now. So, and I tell them, if you really want to fish for a counter offer, you don't really need to get an offer letter. You can go and just use what we have right now to go and negotiate. Yeah. And, and the market is very small. So don't do something like that all the time. So I think right, so you, are, you are having those courageous conversations. You, you are having the difficult conversations with yeah. them. You're not holding back. You're managing yeah. that quite. Yeah. And quite I think because maybe I'm, I'm quite an aggressive person and I'm not afraid of telling them off. Uh, if candidate wants to bullshit me, I'll just tell them, I'm not, I, I once walked out of a meeting room with a candidate because the candidate was being rude and evasive and not keen to share me. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm your recruiter. I'm not your dog. I'm not your kid. You don't yeah. talk to me this way. 
yeah. uh, I would I love to get I really you respect a job. that. And mm. I, I say to the candidate, uh, I'm sorry, maybe let's just end this conversation and maybe I'm not the best recruiter to help you. That yeah. candidate from many years ago is a big client of mine now. Interesting. And that client will always tell me, you know how, what, what, what kind of an asshole you were met last night? I say, then why do you come back to me? Because I'm, I, I, I stay true to what I believe in and I tell yeah. you off because back then when you were a bit younger, you don't treat recruiters well and I think that's something I need to stand up from the rest of my industry, right? I think that, you do. I love that. I love that you said that. I had a conversation with someone yesterday, a junior like grad recruiter and they had a difficult conversation with a really senior candidate that didn't want to give them the CV, didn't want to give them salary details, didn't want to give them the CV. We're just talking it through with this person. I was just talking it through with the recruiter. Just when you have to value what you do as a job, you know, their CV is, is, isn't as valuable as they think it is. Their details are on LinkedIn. It doesn't matter. And if, exactly. And, and if, they yeah. want, if they want you to represent them fully without any information to a client, it actually falls back on them. It actually ruins their credibility. But you have to stand up to these bullies because they've they have got an impression of you as a recruiter or as a, a recruitment industry, and you have to push back on that. And I think there, it always goes back to that valuing what you do in your job, so that you can charge the fees that you do, you can have the courageous conversations because we're in it together. It's a partnership to be successful at getting talent and getting them over the line, and the client yeah, takes it from there. Exactly, right? and you know that's an interesting point because I used to have quite a few junior recruiters when they meet a client, they feel lower than them. And I was like, yes. why? Yes. They are a a CEO. Yeah. They, they do, they are good in their job, but they're not a recruiter. You are a recruiter. You know your market way better than yeah. them. And you're not talking to them to work for them. You, are, yeah. you don't work for them. We are partners. I charge you a fee because you depend on my expertise in reaching out to the network. And I think that's something that you need to know from a very early stage of a career. If not, you'll be like, your, your client, you will see your client as your boss. They are not. I'm your boss. Yeah. Yeah. But again, goes back to kind of what you were saying before with that relationships, just building relationships so that, that it becomes more common ground. It becomes more equal, right? It yeah, all exactly. sort of yeah. stems back to that. I just want to ask, I know you've got a, I know you've got a client meeting, so I'm yeah. being conscious with my time. What are you doing to sort of guarantee that the candidates that you are placing are actually staying and that you're not kind of, you know, <sighs> spending time on free replacements or, oh God, you know, oh, endeavoring wow. to replace okay. it? Like, because that's, it's tricky, right? It's not just about you attracting talent to get into the company. It's also, are they going to stay? Because the market is crazy right now. Yeah. Can, can, I know you'll probably say yes. Can I be absolutely honest on this? Go topic? for it. I really don't like the word guarantee. I know it's in the contract, like, you know, guarantee period. I mean, we yeah. can't run away from guarantee period. But if yeah. a client were to tell me, can you guarantee that your candidate will stay with me? I will, I will very politely decline to work on that role. Because like you say very accurately, the market is hot. Talents are being sought after daily, right? How would I be able to guarantee that a human being sit at your desk? <laughs> if I sell you an oven, I can guarantee that oven will stay there and not run away. So <laughs> I find it a bit ridiculous that you're asking me to guarantee. That, then the same question I would say to the client, can you guarantee to me that whatever you have said to the candidate during the interview process is the truth and you have not oversold? Yes. Or covers yes. Right? That the so, first six months are going to be amazing. Exactly, right? So that's something I, I, I don't. And I tell candidates the same thing. I don't ex- That's why I catch up my candidate after they start the first day, the first week, the first month. And I tell them, as a recruiter, I will tell you, the first three to six months, the transition period is always hard. You will, new company, new people, new style, new bosses, new, new stuff. And you will need to adapt to that. But actually, no client have ever, I think I have a client who told me before I was hiring for a 
what 12 months contractor for them. And they said, can you help me guarantee that this person who is joining us will stay for 12 months? I said, by the way, client, the first week they join you, right, they will be updating their CV already because it's a contract job, right? Because you also, likewise, when a candidate asks you what's going to happen after 12 months, you also put it very professionally that I cannot promise you anything because yeah. I don't know whether I can convert you. So you're being fair and professional. So how can you stop the candidate from starting to apply for jobs or being open maybe four months, three months down the line because the, there's a deadline to this person's job in your company, right? So uh, so I, I, I really don't like when people tell me guarantee. I can, I can only guarantee I will do my best for you in terms of servicing your job, sending yeah. you CVs. I, also I think it's cannot, great advice. I think it's I, good to push back. Even though it's on the terms and conditions, you can still verbally push back on that. I get the yeah. same with training. I get the anyway, same, you know, when they what? go through a training course, will you be able to retain them? But my training isn't a retention tool. It's exactly. And you know what? You, you, what's the point of asking me to uh, guarantee? Because even if they leave, I have to pay you back some of the fees, right? So it's not like you are losing anything from us. Yeah. Like, so... It's an interesting discussion, isn't it? I always think it's an interesting discussion. Um, how are you juggling billing and, and managing? Because you've got nine people. Like that, those numbers are crazy on nine people. Like sometimes three or four people. Oh but my nine God. Knew, people, knew, do they ever see you? Do, you? do you talk to the team when you've got nine people? Like, I mean, it sounds like from the interview today, it sounds like, yes, you are. You're constantly developing them. But um, I, how are you managing, I, managing yeah. that? It's a very... <laughs> so I actually... Uh, this is the biggest challenge. I think... Getting clients, getting candidates, getting jobs is not as, of course, it's not easy, but it's not the, the, the worst. For me, the toughest balance on a daily basis is how do I have this balance? Because I am still a billing manager, which means that I have mandates and clients and candidates that I have to deal with. Uh, so my first thing that I take a lot of pride in is that I, I take responsibility for every single one that I hire. If I don't believe that I am able to give them the time and the attention to groom them or to train them to be as successful as they can potentially be, I won't be their manager because I think that's very uh, irresponsible. So, which means that given that nine people have nine different seniority, different style, different motivation, different personal problems, I will always give time to my team. And that's one thing that if you ask anybody in my company or in Charter House, Outside of my team, I don't actually engage in social conversations with anybody. Oh, you're hilarious. So you just yeah. keep, look, you look I after your family. Only, you, you, you yeah. cr- so you can only have that balance through just getting your head down on your own family kind of thing. Exactly. Because that's one more thing that everybody who knows me since my first recruitment job is I always am the first one to leave the office. I don't work long hours. What time do you finish then? You can say nine o'clock. So officially, <laughs> officially we end at six. But sometimes, not sometimes, I think now, every day I leave by 5.40 or 5.45. I used to leave even earlier back then. Are you coming to the office every day? I come into the office every day. And so that there's FaceTime with the the consultant. And you encouraged everyone to come back in? No, so we have a three-day week process. For the very new consultants, I will will tell them to come in daily because it's easier, right? Because if you're at home, I don't know what mistakes you're doing. I don't know how to help you. Uh, yeah. so, so being there for the team is something that I take a lot of pride in but given that I have to build I always have to strike a balance so the way I strike the balance is number one I will always be there for you number two if it's important but not urgent let's find a time to talk about that later the second thing which I take a lot of uh, focus on is that 
I don't want to waste my time and I don't want you to waste my time. And I make it very clear to my team that my expectations on you is to leverage on me as a manager to make you a better recruiter. One thing that I'm very clear about is I am not here to do your job for you. If I am here to do your job for you, please leave the organization because that's not what I'm here to do. So when we have that kind of understanding, it's easier because my team knows that I have to build, I have targets, I have clients. They have to step up. They're being empowered, basically. They have got to be around to listen and watch off you. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is how, I wouldn't say that's my strategy because it's evolving. Every day I'm still figuring trying out trying to find that balance it's hard yeah. it's really hard but uh i would I, w- I wouldn't say that i'm so amazing to put my team as number one because my if i were to have zero building gary's gonna be like what are you doing man right so that balance oh, it's, have to it's, build. It's, it's, it's horrible it's horrible yeah um just one final question um yeah. what does the future look like for you in recruitment i suppose <laughs> i don't know it's an open-ended question Okay, so so I actually transited back into a team manager role about one and a half years ago uh, to basically set up the financial services tech desk from scratch. So during COVID, I think we, 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 we partnered with certain people. Uh, the team, we, 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 need, we need people because we have a lot of clients. I think the beauty about Chatter House is that we do have a lot of relationships, a lot of clients. We basically need people to farm the accounts. Uh, so my goal if I can put it for 2022, is to make sure that I am helping these people do well. And I'm also very clear to them that, so we have this incentive trip that is quite amazing in Charterhouse. Uh, the, uh, the, this, the, I don't know, I don't think it's secret, but I can say that. No, it's not. Look, I've seen pictures. Then, this is when you yeah, go on the cruises and stuff or go away for the weekend, isn't it? Or not? So, no, that, okay. is, that is a small little thing. The real okay. incentive trip is, in amazing, it's, it's amazing. So since I've joined, with, I've been to Tokyo with Charterhouse, Hawaii, Argentina, uh, and then during COVID, we were supposed to go Cape Town, but it got cancelled. We are going to San Fran, San Fran this year. And the wow. next one is going to be US again. So well, As I, an office? As an office? No, no, no. For You have to qualify for that. Oh, you've got, oh, so, so it's, it's a qualifying a, incentive. So it's, a, it's, a, oh, wow. it's a global, okay. global incentive oh, trip. Fantastic. Which I think, I think, Charles has the best global incentive team. So I tell my team very simple. You are going to qualify for that. So that is yeah, my goal. Going together. And your goal. And we're going to make it happen for you. So that is my goal for That's your goal. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Of course. What a great a, parting comment for the last end of your podcast. No, but you know what? It's, I say that, but it's a struggle. You know, it's easier to manage your own building than to manage your team's building. So that's like another level of God knows what challenge i don't know hopefully the next time we speak i i, I love it i can't wait i can't wait to see the uh, pictures on, on linkedin with you and the team sitting in uh, san fran yeah by the bridge lovely yeah so yeah i think well, that's, thank, that'll be my thank, goal. i'm just getting to the end of the podcast thank you yeah. so much there's so many key takeaways for people to listen to and i really appreciate to have you on the show 
Um, you know, you're really successful. And for me, just to get to know you a little bit more. So it's really nice not to just see you in the Fullerton or see you just walking around. I actually <laughs> yeah. feel I know you now. So yeah. that's been really refreshing for me. I've really, really enjoyed it. So thank no, you I so enjoyed, much for your I time. I enjoyed that a lot. I, it wasn't as scary as I imagined it to be. So thanks for making it easy. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah. So I want to say thank you for your time and being a guest on the show. If you'd like to get in contact with Matt at Charterhouse, then please check out the notes on this episode where his contacts will be found and details of anyone mentioned on the show now as you know charter house are a, a member of women in recruitment asia so um, if you're interested to check out more about women in recruitment asia check out the website so thanks very much everyone for listening stay safe out there be kind to each other and make lots of money bye-bye you have been listening to talent talk asia podcast by the career establishment to learn more about the career establishment our people and our latest thinking visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on linkedin twitter and facebook